out. Thank you, Jeremy Smith. Well, good morning to you. It's great to be here. And uh, thank you so much for having me in your house. Um, Paul uh, speaks about the evidences of God's grace. And I've got to say this morning, as I've just sort of peered into your household and had the privilege of just meeting people in the foyer and going and sitting in a prayer meeting, which was powerful, and coming in in as the band was practicing this morning and listening to uh, Tori sing and Josh sing and um, just knowing Marshall and uh, just getting glimpses even of some of the tech people that have helped made us feel welcome as a church um, as we started to meet here in the last month or so. I'm just overwhelmed um, at the fruit of the Spirit that is evidenced in every single thing that I've seen you guys do and in every person that I've met. Um, I keep saying at Crown and Anchor, the only benchmark that we're going for is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The, whatever we proclaim, whatever we say, whatever we sing, if there's no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if those things aren't evidenced in what we're doing, we're missing the point or we've got a whole lot of maturing to do. And I just want to honor you. I want to say thank you to um, you guys for sharing your house. I feel sort of baptized in vineyardism, uh, if that's such a thing. Uh, Lately, um, my father, uh, his name's Dudley, which is a funny name. I hope he doesn't hear this message online. Uh, But uh, he started a mega movement in South Africa where I was born. And so I sort of have a mixed accent. We moved to Australia in 1990 and then uh, moved to America more recently. Um, He was friends with John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And um, he used to come home from trips in the States and just give me uh, some of the stories of what God was doing in Southern California and your roots all those years ago. Um, And the reason I mention that is it's just sort of dawned on me as I arrived here today uh, that Vineyard as a movement, as a people, as a tribe, you guys have really been a huge part of my healing in life uh, and God's provision in my life. I know for my dad, John Wimber inspired him massively. Um, and when I went through a personal crisis uh, at the age of 30, I had an implosion uh, that, were, that damaged me and damaged a lot of people. Uh, it was interesting. I, I went to Southern California for some healing. And a man named Carl Tuttle, or Carl Tuttle, uh, who is intricate in your guys' that was my American accent, by the way. Feel free to be <laughs> over-impressed with my attempt to sound like you. Um, Carl Tuttle, who wrote many of the songs that were the formative songs of the movement that you guys are a part of, um, drove to see me. He took it upon himself to come find me. And uh, he said, JD, I've got two words for you. He said, the first is, don't waste the pain. And uh, he gave me um, something to work through, something to find God in, in the mess of what my life was uh, 10 years ago. Uh, I know you think I'm as young as Marshall, but I'm actually 40. And so uh, 10 years ago, uh, it was a man involved with Vineyard who was a huge part of my healing and my redemption. And the second thing he said, as he knew what I was walking through, he said, J.D., it wasn't until I lost my reputation. This is Carl speaking and my ministry and my profile and the momentum of ministry and leading a mega church and um, some of the things that I had walked through. And lost. He said, it wasn't until I lost all of those things that I could say for the very first time that Jesus is enough. And uh, 
Nothing like a good vineyard movement leader <laughs> to sort of bring you back just to the raw glory of the presence of God and the goodness of Jesus. And then we find ourselves now in COVID. Uh, and uh, we were meeting at the Kiggins Theatre on Main Street, and we had uh, renovated like 12,000 square feet or something. There was all sorts of stuff that was happening, and we ended up losing our home uh, through this process. Not my personal home, but the, the, the church home. And uh, who was there to walk into our crisis and provide God's goodness and generosity, Marshall, uh, and again, Vineyard comes to the rescue in my life. I'm starting to feel like maybe God wants me to be a part of a Vineyard church or something. Because <laughs> every time I need a breakthrough, um, you guys walk into my life. And so I, all that to say, thank you so much. Um, on behalf of everyone who's a member of Crown and Anchor Church, thank you to your church for opening up your doors and being hospitable. And uh, while I'm on it, can I, you know, the Bible makes it really clear that whatever gifts we've ever been given are only given to us to build up and edify others. That's the whole purpose of it, to bring God's people to maturity and to bless them and to encourage them. And uh, it's funny how we've got it confused. These days, people use their gifts to either build themselves up or so often to tear others down. But Scripture makes it really clear that whatever we've been given in life has only been given to us to build other people up. So I just want to sort of rave on you a little bit uh, this morning and say you're a part of something really special the worship that took place this morning was really special. It was really special. An evidence of God's grace, the senior pastor has to stop the worship team from praying because it's so late and they need to start singing. That's an evidence of God's grace. That's when you know it's not a production or a performance. But there's a giving to God here that's really moving and and really quite special. And you're like, we know, we're here. But don't get used to it because it's glorious. And the other thing I just want to say is Marshall and Carly are very special people. Take good care of them, please. We've treated ministers today either as idols or trash. I'm not saying you guys do that. But globally, it's an issue. I saw Carly walk in with baby Maggie today, and I just thought, how lovely is your dwelling place, God? This family, this life, this dude's a shepherd. He carries you. You know, every single apostolic letter starts almost identically. Somebody with a dad's heart saying grace and peace to you. Just pouring out love. The greeting of every epistle sums up the heart of what true leadership is. It's not let's get to the the discipline or let's get to the living. It's like, I see how precious you are to God. Grace and peace to you. And every time I walk away from a coffee with Marshall, I feel grace and peace. I feel like God's raised up somebody in all of the noise of Western church and in a city that turns on itself so quickly when it comes to congregationalism. God's raised up a shepherd who really loves God's people. And uh, I just pray you would take good care of them. And uh, thank you again for letting us every Saturday night walk into a room that for 30 years or so, tears have stained the carpet for revival. Uh, To see young kids just dancing during worship, freedom abounds. To see uh, Josh and Tori, their heart for worship. 
Uh, as we were walking in, whoever the lady was that was playing piano so beautifully, just bringing peace into the house. There's just evidences of God's grace everywhere. So props to you. I thank God for you and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I hope in some small way, because I've used up just about all my time saying hi, uh, (laughs) that you would just feel and know the goodness of God here this morning. Today, um, I want to teach, if I can, from Psalm 84. And uh, I'd love that up on the screen, if possible, please, verses 1 to 7. Um, And um, oftentimes, it's funny, we do this with the Psalms. We get into the first line, which is, how lovely is your dwelling place? Um, But... Um, there's an interesting little thing that happens if you've got your Bible with you and open it. It says um, at the top there's something like, for the director of music according to the Gittith, and then it says of the sons of Korah. Before we even get to how lovely the dwelling place of God is, there's two stories that emerge really quickly in the preamble. And that is uh, the first thing it says that it's to be played according to the Gittith. And obviously, uh, we don't use Gittiths anymore. It's sort of like an ancient telecaster from way back in the day. Uh, and uh, the thing about the Gittith that's worth noting is it was a uh, restored, reclaimed instrument. It was uh, actually an instrument um, of the Philistines that was never made for God's holy place. It wasn't uh, ever made for God's glory when it was invented. It was used in the context of praising idols. Uh, But something happened in the renewal of that instrument and something that didn't belong in the house of God was made holy and brought into the house of God, kind of like you and me. So before we even get to the text, I see grace. I see the goodness of God, the restoration of God, the reclaiming of God, things for his own glory. And aren't we all just trophies of God's grace? I've said to our church many times, on paper, I look terrible. Uh, I am like the, I've sort of pictured myself as the trophy of God's grace that God kind of puts in the back of the cabinet, you know, just because like you really don't want to see into that guy's life and peer into his history. But thank God that the captain of heaven is not like some of the people that we find in church sometimes who judge people primarily on where they've been or what was said over them in the beginning of their life. Uh, don't, thank, thank God that we, we serve a God who doesn't leave us in our past, but we serve a God who takes a getteth and brings it to his own glory. He takes a JD and brings it to his own glory. He takes whoever you are and uses us independent of where we've come from Uh, For his own glory, he plays a tune through the broken ones, right? And the second thing it says, it's of the sons of Korah. We know that Korah uh, was a man with mixed legacy. We know that Korah dishonored God massively, but thankfully in his lineage, there were those that came from his story who didn't live in the shadow of his story. So much of what I encounter as a pastor these days as I sit with people and you try here where they're at and what they're dealing with is they've gotten stuck in the story story of their dad, or they've gotten stuck in the story of their mom, or they've gotten stuck in the story of an authority figure or somebody of some sort of influence in their life that said and did something, and the remainder of their existence, the whole occasion of their 75 to 85, possibly 95, if you're lucky, years that they've got here for this existence pays homage to what was, or what they were born with. 
And I feel like part of the glory of God in renewal is not just taking an instrument that doesn't belong and giving it grace. No, God does something more radical than just giving us a shot. God gives us a chance to write our own story, to rise up from whatever's going on in the occasion of our own lives and walk in a way that we get to say, I'm not my dad, I'm not my mum, I'm not my uncle, I'm not somebody in my past that declared that I'm this, that, or the other. No, I'm the son of the daughter of the one who says, who can bring charge against God's elect? It's me who justifies. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I guess that's really prolonged way of saying before we get to verse 1, We're welcome into the story, whatever's happened so far in our lives. Isn't grace wondrous? (laughs) It's everything. It's every breath. It's our whole story. And it's good to remember that we worship under friendly skies. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the court's of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Next, please. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I had a conversation with your pastor. Again, I'm sort of raving about him a little too much maybe today. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I walked into the fireside room there at the portal and Marshall had his reading glasses on. He looked very sophisticated and was, um, you know, reading the scripture. And I walked in and I was like, man, I'm so jealous, bro. You look like you've just been meeting with the Lord. And uh, we got to start to talking. And um, our conversation evolved very quickly into the current state um, of the church and the state um, of fear that a lot of people are walking in. And um, how sometimes as leaders we get um, into the rhythm of trying to wrangle people uh, into staying faithful uh, at the expense of living in the purpose of what God's called us to live in. Uh, It's almost like the mission gets overshadowed by the stress. Uh, It's almost like the concern of trying to keep people uh, devoted, uh, you you know, has has taken away from that sense of why we even as leaders or, or, or participants in the story of God, all of us, were put on this earth. We're put here for purpose. We weren't put here for wrangling. We're put here, as we've just read in Psalm 84, for passion, not for passiveness. And so um, I just wanted to talk a little bit um, about something that may be incredibly obvious uh, to you this morning, but I want to talk about uh, the purpose of worship, devotion, and transformation. Those are three things that um, I feel God wants us to grab a hold of, again, independent of our denomination, uh, if we're part of the family of God, and we're here in Vancouver as the church with the big C in this together. Those are three things I think are universal, and we've got to make them our own. Uh, Psalm 84 is written uh, by, it would seem, somebody who was missing out 
on going back to the feast in Jerusalem, back to the pilgrimage that everyone else uh, was going to. There was like this yearning. It's like, I just want to be where God is. In actual fact, um, if we could leave that back up on the screen um, and go back to the first couple of lines, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. The language is so powerful. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. That is nothing like, man, it's Sunday and I have to get up. And I have to go sing for 35 minutes and I pray that they do the songs I like because worship is about my preference. (laughs) It was the founder of your movement, John Wimber, who once said there's two things that we have to settle in life. They're sort of the governing forces of everything. And the first is we've got to settle this question, does God own the universe? We say, of course, but when that value isn't just a profession, but a defining belief system and the writing of our existence, as Revelation says, we were intended for the pleasure of God. We were made for the pleasure of God. The one who rules the universe is the one who rules the universe. And the second thing that we've got to settle is that we were designed for worship. Therefore, whether we like it or not, we're always going to end up worshipping something. Okay? I've seen it a million times in others, and I've seen it in my own heart. When I forget that God made the universe, I end up still worshipping. It just becomes something else. The way that I was designed always finds its way. Life will find its way. We end up worshipping sometimes the very gifts that God has given us. Um, I remember praying for people uh, who couldn't have kids for years and years, and suddenly God would bless them with a child. And instead of that child being given back to God as a point of gratitude because God formed everything, that child becomes the, the object of worship itself. Relationships, people trying to find significance in others. Finances and 401ks, all those things are good and blessings from God. Provision is good and a blessing from God. But unless the second truth is connected to the first truth, we start to lose our way. And we will end up worshiping something, but we're called to worship God. When I read that language about how lovely God's dwelling place is, I don't see obligation, but I see passion. My soul yearns, even faints for God. My heart and my flesh, my soul, my heart, my flesh, my trichotomy comes back to God, all connected up in itself saying there isn't a part of me that doesn't love you and wants you. There isn't a part of me that doesn't yearn for you. That's the kind of worship that God's calling his people to. That's the benchmark. That's the standard of what God is calling our spiritual communities back to. That we don't go, um, it's for those who are passionate about that, but I'm passionate about teaching. Or it's for those who are passionate about that, but I'm passionate about other things. All of it collectively belongs to God and is to be offered up to God in worship. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Next verse, please. Blessed are those who dwell in your house who are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set 
on pilgrimage. I'm going to stop there for a little bit and talk about devotion. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Did you know that that word uh, in the Hebrew for dwell is the same word for marriage? To settle, to stay, to remain, to be married to the presence of God. To be married to the presence of God. In a culture that always seeks the next thing, uh, we've sort of built our churches, if we're honest, not this place because you guys are perfect and awesome, right? But uh, every other church in Vancouver, no, um, we, we've built our churches, if we're honest, through periods of time on stimulation and entertainment, production, performance. Um, sometimes the very ones who are on the stage who are simply meant to be the connection of the hand of the groom and the bride become the point of obsession themselves. It's, it's funny, we've created inter- industries out of worship. You know, when are we going to sing like the Maverick City song? And when are we going to do the Hillsong song? And, and, and as wondrous and as wonderful as those people are, I keep saying to churches, what are your stories? When, when um, Josh starts to sort of sing out and uh, Tori starts to sing out and sort of walk on the water a little bit and take us on a little bit of a spontaneous moment, I go, oh, here we go. There's some devotion. There's, there's, there's no repetition. There's no borrowing of someone else's truth. It's our own starting to emerge out of our own soil. Uh, blessed are those who dwell in your house, who remain, who are ever praising you. Um, Guys, devotion um, is not connected uh, to the fair weather that we have with God. In actual fact, I saw a bumper sticker. I'm going to ask you to flip up on the screen this week. Um, And um, if it's yours, I'm really sorry. Uh, But I was driving behind somebody, and I saw uh, this pearl. Uh, It said, try Jesus. I, I, I hope that offends you. Try Jesus as if he's some sort of beverage or fancy dish uh, at a restaurant that we're going to go and visit. Uh, Or, hey, if it works out for you because the evangelist said it would only be good times, give this guy a shot amongst the many options. And I mean, somebody with a really genuine heart stuck that, took the time to stick that on, purchase it, stick that on their car and propagate the idea Uh, that maybe many spiritual communities have sort of propagated the way that we've functioned, that Jesus is something that we stuff into the corner of our lives and possibly pull out on a Sunday instead of a person that says, man, I just yearn to be where you are, where your presence is, is where I want to be. And I know there's a blessing in staying and dwelling, not trying, not sipping, but dwelling and remaining in the conviction that there's somebody who made this world and I was designed for worship. There's somebody who made this world and I was designed for worship. And the second part of it is probably not the best place to start uh, with evangelism. If you don't like him, Satan will take you back. I mean, my goodness, I I hope that that sort of offends you. If you like that sticker, I'm really sorry. Uh, We have a difference of opinion here, but I don't think it's the place to start. In actual fact, I would hedge a bet that that person uh, who had that sticker drives slow in the left lane. (laughs) 
just to, just to round out like the, the perfect form of, of getting it wrong completely at every level in terms of serving God. They probably don't even use their blinker or their signal when they turn. Uh, they probably cut people off often, and um, I'll stop with that whole analogy. Uh, we can take that off the screen because it really is quite grating. Um, but guys, I wonder if we cast um, a reflection on our own hearts has our existence, and I'm, and I'm asking the question, not making an accusation, has your existence been sort of um, fits and spurts of uh, remembering God either in a crisis or giving gratitude in some sort of high moment? Or can we, like this psalmist, say real worship and real devotion always yearns and sees the blessing in dwelling? and staying, and being married to the presence of God. It's easy to lose sight sometimes um, of why we were made and what we were made for if we give way uh, to a culture out there that keeps telling us uh, we're only in relationship for what we can get out of it, and we're only in relationship for the good times. If I can have uh, that back on the screen, please. Um, The scripture. (laughs) The next slide, please. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Um, The Bible says uh, in Acts 2 that one of the benchmarks of the early church was that they devoted themselves. And that's sort of always been my dream, um, that there would be congregations who belong to God, who take it upon themselves to devote themselves. But it doesn't say they devoted themselves to meaningless activity or programs or repetition. It says they devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer, uh, things of great spiritual value. It was upon them and in them that they wanted to bring their lives as an offering and wanted to dwell and place their strength in God. I love that line, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. This is a kind of confusing um, text in the Hebrew, and it can be taken a number of ways. uh, But many scholars, and I would probably hazard to guess that most scholars, would agree that the word pilgrimage there isn't only talking about some sort of God adventure somewhere, but it's talking about the repeat and the rhythm of coming back to the temple the repeat and the rhythm of coming back to the temple. And it's sort of really unsexy to talk about the repeat and the rhythm of coming back to the temple in a day and age where people are obsessed with their own personal rights. It's particularly tough too these days as we find ourselves doing church a new way. And I know that that pilgrimage has shifted. I know that there's people online that are watching now and going to watch through the week that for very good reason uh, are doing it that way. Um, And I love that. I see the pilgrimage in that, them setting aside time to say, I'm going to like, tune in and I'm going to pause everything else in my week and I'm going to sit in my living room or you know um, uh, my car or whatever and stream this or watch this for you that are in the room this morning I want to honor you and say what you're doing is a very sacred thing to come back um, and say hey no matter what's going on in my life I set aside this time um, as pilgrimage and my heart is set on it I'm pointing my heart I love the language they set their heart on it they don't just stumble into church or get up on a Sunday morning 
morning and decide if they're going to remember that someone rules the world and we were made for worship. I just want to honor again and ask you to hold before you uh, whatever happens in this world, whatever we have to submit to in terms of pandemic regulations and however we navigate the tricky waters of the next couple of years. Let's not pretend they're not going to be complicated, right? But as we navigate some of the the tension um, and, and stuff that we're facing inside of our churches and on the outside, one sure way for us to get to the other side of whatever happens in our lives is to set our hearts and to point our hearts at the rhythm of pilgrimage coming back and saying, for this hour and a half, I just pour my heart out before you again in community. Every morning when I wake up, I say, good morning, Holy Spirit. That's a pilgrimage for so many of you. I looked on your, uh, your program and saw that every single weekday, there's prayer meetings going on in your church culture. It is so refreshing and beautiful in a day and age of deconstructionism where people are throwing out all the good because of their frustration with the bad, that there's still this beautiful desire and discipline. I love it. Blessed are those who dwell. It's not just some sort of um, discipline that we bring to God um, out of devoting ourselves from some belief construct in our minds. No, blessed are those. How lovely is your dwelling place. We realize whatever rhythm of devotion that we bring to God leaves us the better, leaves us transformed. Uh, We see that it's a a great mystery and wonder that the one who makes everything says, come and be with me. How blessed we are in the new covenant to live in a disposition that the ancients would have cried out for. Adam walks in the cool of the day with God, right? And there's conversation. Uh, The disciples, how many times have you read the gospels and gone, oh, I just wish I was one of those disciples up close And yet Jesus says to them, hey, there's something better than what you're seeing right now. This up-close proximity to me and my miracles, there's something even more glorious than that. I will send the Holy Spirit to indwell. So the psalmist talks about dwelling in the context that he would have understood. But we find ourselves thousands of years later in this glorious building being the building ourselves. Also says a little bit about how lovely you are. How lovely is God's dwelling place? That's where you go, thank you, J.D. Because God is not dwelling in bricks and stone, but in living stones. God is dwelling in what Paul says to the Galatians. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now you are the dwelling place of God. I love how God feeds his own desire to be worshipped and to be close with us by filling us with the Holy Spirit every single second of every single day so that the dwelling is not angst and effort to try and make a journey to someone, but simply responding to the blessing that we wake up to every single day. I love that it doesn't just start with worship and end there, doesn't move to devotion and talk about pointing our lives and offering ourselves up as a response to the goodness of God. It talks about transformation. We can always expect when we encounter Christ, when we walk with the Holy Spirit, when we mature in this journey called the adventure of your existence with God, that transformation is going to take place. I fear sometimes that we leave our relationship with God at gratitude We show up at Christmas and Easter and we say, thank you for the birth and thank you for the death. 
And those are good things. Thank you for the resurrection. Those are good things, amazing things and things that should never fall out of our pilgrimage. But there's a ceiling beyond gratitude that God is calling us to. We don't just thank Jesus for what he did in the Gospels. We don't just thank God for what he's done in human history. We say, God, what are the loaves and fishes in my existence that I can offer up to you, that you can multiply and change and transform me? And check this out. As they pass through in devotion and worship, as they pass through the valley of Bekar, they make it a place of springs. That word bakar is where we get the word balsam trees, the weeping trees, right? The, the trees whose, um, whose incense make your eyes water. Uh, a metaphor for there's going to be pain. There's going to be displacement. There's going to be uh, tough times. And I know that COVID for many people has been that at a global level. And I wonder at your local level, even in your own home, in the inner recesses of your heart and your faith struggles and fears, uh, what balsam trees have been planted, what weeping has happened in your, in your life. But it says this, they make it, not it makes them. They make it as they pass through, not plant themselves in hardship. See, those that know the nature of God know that there's going to be struggle But struggle is not the end. Struggle is not where we build a monument and stay for the rest of our lives. Struggle is opportunity for the transformer who's already on the other side of our hardship, wooing us into our future selves. Saying this opportunity that feels like death is pruning and it's maturing And it's helping us to become stronger. My next door neighbor's parents uh, lived through the Great Depression. And she said she grew up uh, having such a happy life. But the thing she noticed about her parents is whenever struggle came, they were solid and stable and walked through it because they had walked through the bottom falling out of the economy. They had walked through losing all of their reliance on economics and, and, and making provision for themselves. They had begged, they had pleaded, they had walked through and come through the other side stronger and more tender. I often say to our church, as we look back one day at 2020 and 2021, are we going to be proud of how we carried ourselves Did we conform to the pattern of the world, which is fear-mongering and hatred and division? Or are we going to be transformed by the renewing of the raw materials of our mind? See, the thing about renewal and transformation is God doesn't want us to get rid of a whole bunch of stuff. He doesn't want us to, you know, transplant a whole bunch of stuff into us. He wants to take what's already there and he wants to renew it. He wants to take all of the stories that are you already up until this point. And he wants us to keep walking through the imminent and um, steady uh, valleys of the car that will show up in our lives time and time again. And he wants to transform us. They make it into a place of springs. They go from strength to strength till each appears in Zion. I end with this. Marshall, when he asked me to speak uh, this Sunday, my first thought is I'm going to share Um, the text that we usually reserve for funerals, which is so sad. I felt to speak out of Psalm 23. Um, But something shifted in me and I felt to come to this text. And interesting thing about Psalm 23, it starts off with the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, it's just me and Jesus. This is awesome. 
Like, like imagine if the church took Psalm 23 verse 1 and just lived there. I just want Jesus. It's sort of how we start our Christian journey and when we go into glory, many people are talking more like that. Just, I just want Jesus. But it's interesting, it says that the valley of the shadow of death is imminent or the valley of Bacar is imminent. Test and trial is imminent. And at the end of the psalm, the psalmist says, I can sit at a table in the presence of my enemies and my cup overflows. How do we get from, it's just me and Jesus hanging out, to I can thrive at a table filled with enemies. It's called transformation. And God's committed to maturing us to become the kinds of believers who don't just worship because we love the presence of God, who don't just devote ourselves because we want our lives to mean something, but are people that are hungry for transformation to never, ever stop growing. One of the things that confounds me is that my dad, who was a mega church, mega movement, mega everything leader, only ever heard the, vo- the audible voice of the Holy Spirit one time in his life. And he was kind of embarrassed about that. But he said, um, the only thing I've ever audibly heard God say is avoid fame like the plague. Just keep journeying. Don't get stuck in the monument that points to you. Just keep giving it away. Keep giving it away. Keep growing. And the fact that every single Saturday night when I stand up in your building, that he is in Australia listening online and calls to say, man, this spoke to me and this spoke to me, goes, that's the kind of Christian life we're called to, even in old age, still saying, I want to grow. I want to learn from some idiotic kid who doesn't know half of what I know. I want to keep growing and growing and growing. That sort of attitude has been modeled to me by my father. And I think it's an attitude that I want to model to my kids. And I hope it's an attitude that you want to adopt for your own good and model for those that will come before you, and rather those that will come after you. Thank you, Vineyard. Uh, we're going to transition now into a response time. Brendan's going to come up. Um, I just want to thank you so much uh, for having me in your house. And uh, thank you so much uh, for the example that you guys are setting to our church. Um, You are a beautiful people and I honor you.